Josh Bell ops in the Marlins. They still have their first baseman for 2024. Huge news. Josh Bell opting in for me changes the whole complexion of this offseason for the Marlins. Going to dig into that plus as expected. Hoy Soler opts out equally. The White Sox make an interesting decision that could impact the Marlins. This is Locked on Marlins. You are Locked on Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings from England. Welcome to Locked On Marlins. It's your daily Marlins podcast. I'm your host, Peter Pratt. Hit me up on X, formerly known as Twitter, at MiamiMarlins underscore UK. If you're listening to the pod, of course, hit subscribe. It's your team every day, even on a Sunday. There wasn't a Friday episode. We'll get to that in a second. Um, but thanks for making Locked On Marlins your first listen of the day. You may well be watching the Dolphins right now. Play against the Chiefs. Could be. So this is there for you ready. Straight after that game, perhaps. There is a YouTube channel, guys. Make sure you... Join me over there and hit subscribe also. And I just want to call out, uh, firstly, that the comments are great on YouTube. It's a great way to interact and engage. Make sure you leave comments. Let me know what you're thinking around the content we're getting out there. You know, we're going to get into hyperbole, the hyperbole phase of the offseason, talking about all the moves the Marlins could make, they should make, all the guys they're going to check in on that end up not signing with the Marlins. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Make sure you join me over there. I have to call out. And someone called me out to say, Pete, you said Friday episode. There was no Friday. Where was the Friday episode? I have to hold my hands up and apologize for that. Firstly, that was my fault. And just more generally, I really struggle with Friday evening pods, mainly because my my actual day job, you know, the working week ends on a Friday. And naturally in that moment, I'm not going to lie. I like to pop open a bottle of wine. So all of a sudden, hitting a podcast at 9 p.m. on a Friday, it's like not really the optimal time for me personally. It doesn't really fit into my schedule. So sometimes I struggle with that. Sometimes it's fine. But for Friday, this Friday, it was wine time, baby. And equally, I knew there were a few decisions about to brew. So I thought a slow news day, you know, on a Friday, I want some vino. You know, maybe we'll hit the pause and do a weekend episode. So. I wanted to call that out to let you know why. Because, you know, people you know expect the show Monday to Friday, and sometimes it doesn't happen. And I apologize for that, guys, because it's part of your daily routines. And I appreciate that. This is a Sunday episode, so it's Sunday, the 5th of November. And actually, there's a lot of news to get into today, guys. And uh, we're going to talk about Hoy Saleh opting out. But the main news, the main news becomes Josh Bell opting in. And for those that listen every day, will know that I've been on that situation. I've been expecting Bell to opt in. Craig Mish, our man, our insider, um, we often take our steer from Mr. Mish. Uh, Unfortunately, Mr. Mish's steer was off on this one. He was expecting Bell to opt out, and that got me mentally spiraling with this one. I was thinking, man, okay, Soler's definitely gone. Josh Bell, man, if he goes too, that's two big sticks gone. It's going to be tough to replace those guys. But for me, Josh Bell opting in, it just completely, it, I almost 180. I've almost 180 on this one. Looking at the offseason outlook, just thinking the way the Marlins can approach this, where Soler was expected, but 
with Bell, if Bell was to go as well, I then look around in free agency and what they can do and just think, man, it's going to be a big step back. Let's talk about Bell, though. What it means. Bell's opting in. He's going to earn $16.5 million this year. Someone made a great point, though, after the fact to say that actually you need to account for mean Gene Segura's money in that, too, because the Marlins had committed to Gene in 24 also. So you need to account for the eight and a half, the sunk cost of mean Gene. So when you look at it that way, this trade ends up happening and the Marlins end up having to pay an additional, an additional eight million above Gene Segura, who was one of the worst players in baseball last year. They have to pay an extra eight million. When you look through that lens, and I'm glad that someone called this out. This is why I need more guests. I need people calling it out to me to say, Pete, have you thought about it this way? I hadn't even looked back at that situation. But it is such an important point here where you moved Mean Gene Segura's money and you get Bell. Bell opts in and then the Marlins end up, because they would have DFA'd Gene Segura anyway, they would have been on the balance sheet. It would have been in the budget. In the end, the Marlins pay an eight eight million or so premium for Josh Bell, and he opts into that situation. That's huge for the Marlins. Huge, not only because replacing Bell would have been pretty tricky. Some people want Troy Johnston, and I understand why. Spoke about it on the episode, the last episode. I'm not convinced. The Marlins are convinced at this point. He'll be given an opportunity in spring. Clearly, he definitely will. But to roll into the season with a truly untested, like no major league at-bats. And the dude is like, he's not like he's 20. He's been around the organization for ages. The Marlins gave him no opportunities. What does that say about it? I know, obviously, they had Gurriel and they had Bell. But they, you know, to have zero at-bats and to go into the season with that at first base, it would have been a risk. It would have been a gamble, in my opinion. So for me, this is this is perfect. And actually, you know, Bell, no problem. You can go with Bell and Troy Johnston at first base. All of a sudden, me, that kind of solves a few problems. And let's be honest, Josh Bell was absolutely brilliant for the Marlins when he arrived. Bell and Berger were excellent on the field, off the field. I mean, how many post-game interviews did Josh Bell do? It seems like Josh Bell like kind of was traded to the Marlins, was having a stinking season, traded to the Marlins, he turned up. Next thing is he's, you know, multi-home run games. One from either side of the plate. It feels like he becomes a spokesman. I mean, how deep is that guy's voice as well? <laughs> it's unbelievable. I absolutely love hearing Josh Bell speak. And for me, the impact of Josh Bell there, both on the field, off the field, was huge for the Marlins there. You know, could they have retained Cooper? Yeah, I think they could have retained Cooper. I think you could have gone Coop and Bell and maybe moved on from Guriel potentially. But, you know, again, that was a bit of a money move. We'll see. But for me, this really sets the Marlins up to at least have Bell. So then you know you've got first base sorted. The question will then be, could Troy Johnson actually force his way into first base? And if he comes into spring and all of a sudden Troy Johnson looks like the real deal, I mean, the problem for the Marlins is they it would have been good to have known this before. It would have good to have you know, good heading into spring to have like a degree of confidence. Like, we think Troy Johnson can play first base every day. And now that Bell opts in, okay, Bell, all of a sudden he's going to be DHing a bit more often. The problem is, is Troy Johnson's untested. So that is a big question mark. It then, you know, it then in, impacts the offseason 
approach. Because if you've got Bell slated in for first base, you're then thinking, well, we still need a DH. We still need a power stick, a, a prototypical DH, perhaps, if that's the way they want to go. Or someone that has a bit more versatility. And I think that'd be really interesting to see which way the Marlins go with this one. Like, how versatile do they look to, to go with a DH? Like, yeah, we'll see We'll see the approach on that one. Jorge Soler, in reality, became, and, and his, his value sits as an everyday DH now at this point. Uh, you know, from a, from an outfield perspective, you know, not good. Um, there's no point in being there. He is an everyday DH. So, Bell opting in, huge news. Huge news and got me feeling so different about the offseason, to be honest. You then think, okay, first base is sorted, second base is sorted if they stick with the Rias. In my opinion, also, Xavier Edwards could and should be considered second base. Spoke about it on previous episodes. Like, for me... I'd love to protect the Rias a touch more. And maybe that's a first base in DH. So maybe that is the mix. But Rias, I just want him protected. Like, as the year went on, he just seemed like he was fully dinged. But let's just assume a Rias at second. Short stops a hole. We're going to talk about that after the ad. Third base, he's locked in. We know. Um, Jake Berger's in there. Jazz at center field. you got Jesus Sanchez, Brian De La Cruz in the outfield. You know, all of a sudden, like, the core is there. The core's there. They need to still make some moves. But Josh Bell, you know, it's another, it's a move they now don't have to make and money they don't have to spend. So for me, it's huge, 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 huge. What else is huge are our good friends over at FanDuel. Yes, sir. So guys, it's NFL season. You may be watching this episode, like maybe the game is still going on. Like I think the Dolphins Chiefs is probably at half time as I'm recording this right now, um, which was planned. But you can score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. Maybe those that have put $5 on the Chiefs could be looking at that right now. That's $150 if your team wins. I don't think the Chiefs are going to win this game, by the way. Um, if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use, and there's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. All right, guys, you're here with me, Peter Pratt, on Sunday, the 5th of November. Soler is gone, but Bell is back. And that sets the Marlins offseason up much better than it would have been if both were gone. How does this impact first base? I think Bell will slot into the first base role. Troy Johnson will have an opportunity to be the backup first base. We'll wait to see. They then have the, the flexibility to maybe DH, move the DH spot around, and maybe Bell ends up DHing a touch. If Troy Johnson is legit, I don't know if he is. I should really probably look at some scouting and some some clips of Troy Johnston. But fundamentally, I've never seen him. I never have. No one's seen him hit any major league pitching. And that is the risk with Troy Johnston. Let's talk about a shortstop option. Because the Chicago White Sox end up declining their team option on Tim Anderson. A few years ago, we would have never seen this coming. We've been speaking about maybe Tim Anderson to the Marlins for, for some time, like a few years. It's kind of like you've been thinking, you know, someone like Tim Anderson would be would be great for the Marlins. But you're thinking, there's no way the White Sox are going to be looking to move him. He's got like a team-friendly deal, 14 million option at the back end. Like, 
There's no way, right? There's no way. There is a way. <laughs> the White Sox end up end up effectively refusing, declining that team option. I think it was a million-dollar buyout on that one. So Tim Anderson added to the free agent pool. Wasn't to be expected. Wasn't expect. Well, it probably would have been in some ways. The question here, and actually, hold on a minute. Let me just pump the brakes a sec. One thing that I did see was just prior to this situation, the Brewers were in a similar situation with Mark Canna, where they, they're thinking about payroll. They're looking to reduce payroll. They've got some younger outfielders coming down the pipe, etc. Effectively, the Brewers were going to decline this Mark Canna option. However, and there was a buyout attached to that, the Tigers then thought, actually, we can see value in Mark Canna. We'll send you over a slapdick prospect, and we'll get back Mark Canna and that year of control. Otherwise, if he goes to free agency, you're then into the full negotiation rounds. Loved what the Tigers did with that one. I loved it. It's a great move. So what does that? how does that link into Tim Anderson? The White Sox were in exactly the same position where there was a million bucks they've now had to pay. So simply just moving Tim Anderson would have saved them a million bucks, not to be sniffed at. And the team that would have then traded for him would have then assumed that final team year option at 14 million. Granted, Tim Anderson's 2023 was terrible. If you look at his baseball savant profile, it is absolutely putrid. It's terrible. It's one of the worst profiles I've ever seen, to be honest with you. I think Mean Gene Segura's looked even better. I don't know how that was possible, but I think, the, I think it did. I think it did. Tim Anderson had an absolutely stinking 2023. There's no way to get around that. So the interesting part here is if the Marlins are interested in Tim Anderson, and I don't know if they are, but on the face of it, you'd think this could be a good fit. There's a guy, a profile that we have seen for the past couple of years that looks really enticing to the Marlins. It really does. Really does. And you just kind of think, man, okay, you go Tim Anderson, you know, maybe he's leading off. You know, maybe then you can, you've got Arias, you know, in the two hole and you know, then you kind of get into the thumpers then, you know, what do you go? Bell, Jazz, Berger, Jesus Sanchez. Like all of a sudden you can just feel that lineup and you think, oh, this could be really juicy, really juicy. But so the lineup could be interesting there. Tim Anderson, for me, the, the profile for me fits the Marlins. I have no idea if they're interested. I guess we'll we'll hear that as it goes along, like whether the Marlins show interest in or check in on or whatever it might be. But this is what's surprising for me. If they were interested, if they were, then for me, this would have been the perfect situation to effectively go and get Tim Anderson for nothing in terms of a trade piece. Like the White Sox would have been happy just saving a million bucks themselves. You just send them, you know, a no-name dude. And then you you have Tim Anderson. He has no choice about this, by the way. So the Marlins are effectively trading for that 14 million and Tim Anderson for one year. Some would look at that and say, that's an overpay for Anderson. Tim Anderson is not worth 14 million after the year he had in 2023. That's a really fair point. Really fair point. So what now happens? And this is exactly 
Let me just go back to the last offseason where the Marlins could have absolutely sent the Dodgers nothing, effectively nothing, and got Cody Ballinger and his final arbitration year. They didn't do it. The Dodgers decided to move on from Cody Ballinger. He was non-tendered, left for free. But the Marlins, they could have traded for Ballinger. Okay, the number was high because his arbitration number was high because it was pumped up by his MVP campaign. Coming off the year he had, should Cody Ballinger have earned 20 million? Was he worth 20 million? No. But if you look at the prior years and the prior body of work, it says it's probably more likely than not that you get an above average player. The problem is, as soon as the Marlins need to then convince free agents rather than convincing teams. So the Marlins could have traded for Bellinger and had the control. Bellinger has no say in this. He is then a Marlin and he's paid 20 million and he's happy with that potentially. Prove it year. Tim Anderson is in, is in the same situation. The Marlins could have traded for Tim Anderson. They could have acquired him. 14 million, it sounds like an overpay. Maybe it does. But frankly, it's, it's within their control. They own the rights at this point. As soon as someone drops into free agency, you then have the problem the Marlins faced into last offseason and probably all the other offseasons before. This last offseason, they were more serious. And they were looking to make moves. They were checking in with guys. And fundamentally, other teams were more appealing. The Marlins were finding it really difficult to convince high-end free agents to come to Miami. Why? Well, there's various reasons why. We don't have to go through them. But when you're stacking up the Marlins and their bottom five offense, their bottom five attendance, their bottom five budget, there's, there's a chance and you kind of play the odds and you think, do I really want to go to that environment if I could choose to? Or would I choose, in Cody Ballinger's case, to go to the Chicago Cubs? At the end of the day, maybe Ballinger made the wrong move because the Marlins made the postseason, the Cubs did not. But that environment in Chicago, it's nice. I think Bellinger enjoyed his time. I think he did. And he's going to get a massive payday now off the back of that. So I'm interested to see. With Bellinger, we knew in the end the Marlins were interested. The question with Tim Anderson is whether the Marlins are actually interested. And maybe the timing's poor. They have no they have no front office at this point. They've got interim guys. Who's making the calls? Who can make the call to go and get Tim Anderson for free? Plug him into shortstop for a prove-it year, 14 mil. Who knows? My gut feel on Tim Anderson is that he's going to have a massive bounce-back year. When you look at the Chicago White Sox and you hear the guys that have kind of come away from the White Sox subsequently... They were, they were in an amazing position, it felt like to me. An amazing position where you were looking at the talent on the roster and you were thinking, a lot of talent here. These could be good. You're looking at the division thinking, the White Sox could be good. They should be good. Then all of a sudden, they decided to drop a nuclear bomb on it by getting Tony La Russa into the mix. And it just completely blew it up. It was the wrong call at the wrong time. And subsequently... Just, it's all imploded in Chicago. But guys that are leaving there are rediscovering themselves. Lance Lynn, he was absolutely putrid for the White Sox. Goes over to the Dodgers. Next thing is, he's a stud. 
Was Lance Lynn in the White Sox? I think he was. <laughs> I've said that out loud and I'm on record, so there's no way to, to wind it back. I'm going to look really stupid if Lance Lynn wasn't on the White Sox, but you get the point. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I would expect the same thing with Tim Anderson. I would expect Tim Anderson to roll into an environment, one that is supportive of him and is the right environment. And listen, Skip Schumacher, for me, is the ultimate environment setter. I can just imagine Tim Anderson thriving in a Skip Schumacher clubhouse. I really could. The profile's there. You know, this is the type of dude the Marlins should get. And for me, it's a huge missed opportunity. They didn't go and get Tim Anderson and that year of control. And I know they have to pay him $14 million, and the Marlins don't want to pay him $14 million. But the point here is Tim Anderson would have no say in it. As soon as in free agency, any club can go after Tim Anderson. And a lot of clubs may look more appealing than the Marlins. He may have a preference. The Marlins aren't going to outbid anyone either. So if you like the player and you think he could really fit your club, and I think he really could, and it's minimal commitment, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't matter. It's a one-year deal. It's a one-year deal. Prove it deal for him. He'll be wanting to play well. On a team that's just come up, you know, from a postseason, they've got a lot of players in that clubhouse that I think, yeah, Tim Anderson could probably gel with. You just think, why did the Marlins not make that move? And to be honest with you, I have no idea. I've, I've thought of 15 reasons why they should have done. And I can't think of one, apart from the money, why they wouldn't. Okay, 23, the performance was putrid, but everyone on the White Sox was putrid. All of them. The culture was terrible. Everything was wrong with the White Sox. It's been wrong for a while. You can't base your assessment on just one season when everyone imploded. Tim Anderson's going to bounce back. The Marlins could have got him for nothing, pretty much. Paid him the 14 on a prove-it deal, plugged the gap in shortstop, and that's another That's another problem solved in the offseason. Next thing is, you come out of this week, you've got Josh Bell at first base, locked up, maybe DHing if you slide Troy Johnson there, or Arias. You've got your shortstop plumbed in for 24. Next thing is, just imagine this now. You then think in catcher, we still need to do something. It's fine, they will. Fortes and someone. Josh Bell, Luis Arias, Tim Anderson, Jake Berger. I mean, it's a stunning core. Really is. Jazz Chisholm Jr. in center field, some guys in the corners. And I, this, you know, segue into it. We're going to finish up here. I am all in on Teoscar Hernandez. All in for the similar reasons about Tim Anderson, where one down year in a new environment in Seattle, you know, is that what you're going to base your assessment on? I think a lot of people will be looking at Teoscar Hernandez. I think he could be a really interesting fit for the Marlins. He may end up being too expensive for the Marlins. I think that's the only problem here. Like, I do wonder what their what their free agency budget like actually looks like. I'm not convinced it's going to like now. Bell's in at sixteen and a half. That's sixteen and a half they could have spent elsewhere. Um, they need to do some work with a you know some maybe a vet starter or two. This is going to be some money needed to be spent there. We'll wait to see what that looks like. But you've got to think, how are they going to fill the DH spot? How are they going to fill maybe an outfield spot? Like, there is still a few spots, plus shortstop was already mentioned. But Teoscar Hernandez, for me, I just, I'm all in on this one. 
I'm all in on it. And I think he could absolutely just play either corner pretty much every day. Mix and match Dela Cruz and Jesus Sanchez and, you know, whoever else you want to play out there. But for me, Teoscar Hernandez, loving the fit. I love the fit of Tim Anderson as well. And I'm frankly, I'm baffled the Marlins just didn't follow exactly what the Tigers did with Mark Canna and just send nothing to pick up the option. Take all the guesswork out of it and take all of the need. The thing is, with, I'm, I'm going back to Tim Anderson because it's kind of like riled me here. Where... What, what's the what's the deal going to look like for Tim Anderson? He's going to be seeking, well, he'll go one of two ways, right? You'll end up with like a a one-year prove it where somewhere where he wants to play um, with probably like a mutual option in there, kind of like a Cody Bellinger type of deal, something like that. Or he's going to look for a multi-year deal, maybe a Gene Segura type deal, something like that, you know, 8-8 eight, eight and you know maybe an option at the back end. Maybe that's the type of deal he's seeking, which is fine. But then if it doesn't work out, then you're kind of stuck of two years' worth of money. I don't know. I don't know. I look at Tim Anderson and his profile, and I'm just excited by it. I think he's exactly the type of guy that the Marlins are looking for. They've still got Bell, which adds the thump. Berger adds thump. Jazz has got thump. Jesus Sanchez has got thump. They need one more guy with thump, but we'll work work on who that could be. But Teoscar Hernandez absolutely could be that guy. Catch is going to be tricky. But for me, Josh Bell opting in has absolutely set the table here for the Marlins and what they're going to do this offseason. It's it's something they now don't have to think about. It's money that they now have, have allocated that maybe they wouldn't have thought they were having allocated, but it is what it is. Bell at 16 and a half probably is a touch too high. But you have to consider that eight and a half or so of that was Gene Segura, which was a sunk cost. Guys, I appreciate you making Lockdown Marlins your first listen. I appreciate you joining me on a Sunday, and I apologize that there wasn't an episode on Friday. But there has been news, plenty of news. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. And please, in the comments, particularly in YouTube, let me know your thoughts. I've put forward a huge case on why the Marlins should have traded for Tim Anderson. Even though they didn't, they should still be active in free agency and look to sign him, potentially to a Gene Segura-type deal. We'll wait to see what Tim Anderson is looking for. Teoscar Hernandez is another guy I'm hugely interested in, as well as Mitch Garver, but I think a lot of people will be. But the Marlins offseason is now up and running. We now know the opt-out situation. Now it's all about who are they going to pursue in free agency. I want to talk about, as we get into next week, Trevor Bauer. So I just want to call that out right now. That I want to talk about Trevor Bauer coming to the Marlins on potentially a prove-it deal. So we'll look forward to doing that one. I know that's going to be I know that's going to be an emotive topic for some, but it's a topic and a conversation that should be had and we will have it here on Lockdown Marlins. And we'll see you soon.